right, we'll go ahead and open with prayer. Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you for the opportunity to be in the house of God with the people of God. We pray now, Father, your anointing in this household today, each and every word or song, whatever is done, the deed be done according to your will. Holy Spirit, come and have it this place. And those people that are here with us today, Lord, heal us, anoint us, um, break down strongholds, break the chains, Father. Whatever it is that we need done, Father, we know that you are more than capable of doing so. Father, we invite that spirit of healing and deliverance into our presence. Holy Spirit, you come because that is your job. Father, we pray that you bless this vessel. Um, the, my words be your words. My thoughts be your thoughts. Open our hearts that we may understand and this word will take root and grow and that we may be the men and women of God. They were called to be the army of God for this day and this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today if you want to put a title for the uh, message, it's called Personal Experience of God. A personal or the personal experience with God, however you want to word it. I want you to know that God has always from the beginning desired a personal experience with you. In Genesis 1 and 26, I'm just going to read a few scriptures. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and all over the earth and and over every creeper creeping thing that creeps upon the earth that was his in plan his intention from the beginning that you not only have the image that you look like him but you have the likeness which is the representation or the you shadow you look like a shadow of god we are called to such greatness. Um, we know the fall took away, um, took away the uh, personal relationship that we have with Christ, with God. Uh, the walking amongst us, that changed when sin came in. But God has always strived to be among us, within us, and for us to be his people. Ezekiel 37 and 27, I'm just going to read these, write them down. The ESV version says, my dwelling place shall be uh, be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's always, always desiring personal relationship with you. 1 Peter 2 and 10 kind of, kind of uh, repeats what you find in Hosea 2 and 23. It says, and I will... Uh, um, I will sow her unto and in the earth, and I will have many upon her that have not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall, then shall they, uh, and, they and I will be thy God. He called, he desired to have his own people, his own people, sons and daughters. Uh, you know, co-heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Uh, Revelations 3 and 20, you'll see the very end. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him 
and eat with him and he with me. Such a desire for a personal relationship with us. I stand at the door and knock. That's what sin did. When sin came into this world, it separated us from him. But he is constantly at our door knocking. Will you hear my voice? Will you open the door? I want to talk about some people in the Bible that experienced, had an experience with God, a personal experience with God. The first one I come to was Jacob. And I'm not going to read all their stories. We're just going to talk about it. Um, We're going to talk about their lives and how it reflects what we should do in our lives and how we should be once we have that personal relationship with God. You can be, you can have salvation, but you could lack relationship. And that is, uh, that is where a lot of Christians stand right now. They claim salvation, but they don't have the personal relationship with uh, God. To have personal relationship, you've got to have an intimate relationship with him. You've got to learn to talk, but also to listen. You've got to learn to spend time with him in his word, studying his word, uh, in prayer, in supplication. Um, You should be mirroring what you see and hear of him in your relationship. There is a reason why people say once people get married, they they tend to start looking like each other. Because they are becoming the one. That's the oneness in their life. It's starting to reflect not only on the it's in the inside, but it's showing on the outside. They have this oneness about them. And that's what God desires with us. That's the whole purpose of sending Christ to the earth to bridge and fix, fulfill the law so that we could have grace and mercy, but we could have this personal, intimate relationship with God. And that's what he desires of us. If you look at Jacob, uh, Genesis 32, and I'm not going to read these. You can write them down and go back and read his story. But we all know Jacob. He was the supplanter. He was the one that stowed his brother's um, blessing as Esau was the firstborn. But he left because he feared his brother would kill him. And and he spends many years under his uncle's... um, house working for his uncle uh, Laban and you know he fell in love with Rebecca and he wanted he said if you work x amount of years for I'll give you her but he woke up the next morning and realized he had Leah (laughs) he met somebody that out could outdo him and so he'd worked so many more years to obtain marriage with Rachel and um, so at this point of Jacob's life he is coming back home God has told him it's time to come home you can read the story in like 30, 31, and 32 chapter. Of, but we're picking up 32. And he's leaving. He's left according to the command of God to come. And I thought it was funny. In verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angel of God met him. So he had these spiritual eyes that he could see these men, these angels of God, they were with him. And, and they, they, um, he called the place a certain name. He, you know, he named it uh, a certain name. But as he was there, if you read the story, he did a few things. He, uh, he humbled himself. He started sending gifts and messengers to his brother. This is the man that he had wronged and wronged greatly back in his youth. And he's sending... This, he's trying to make an amends for 
because he's been called to come home, according to God. And um, so he is humbling himself in many ways, and we don't like that part of our lives. We don't want to humble ourselves before those that we have wronged because we have such this guilt complex that the enemy has made a stronghold in our lives, and we will bite our tongues than to say, I'm sorry. We will. That's the hardest thing. It is only human nature. That's what came with the fall. <laughs> All that stuff came with the fall. The other thing you see in verse 9, he prayed. He prayed. He stayed in connection with God. Verse 22, he sends his people, his wives, his children, and everyone ahead of him over into the other part of the, I think it's over a water. And he stayed and he got alone. He got alone. These are things that you can do to prepare yourself for a time with God humbled himself. He left his old life behind. He left Laban and all that behind him. He was obedient to the will of God to move forward. He was walking into the next part of his life that God had called him to do. Uh, despite his failure, here he comes. He's humbling himself even to his enemy. He's prayed. He's got alone. And um, the next thing we see in verse 24, he's wrestling with the angel of God. And he's just not wrestling. I mean, he's with dear life. He is hanging on and wrestling. He says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. He was diligent. He was diligent, very diligent. So don't give up. Just because you don't see the answer, he hadn't seen the answer yet. But he knew, he says, I can't let you go until you bless me. Be diligent in your search for God because he is diligent for you. He is constantly pursuing you. I knock at the door. I stand at the door and I knock. The next thing we see is uh, he wrestled, he wrestled, he wrestled. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he obtained his blessing. He made a lasting, he obtained his blessing, but you know what it cost him? His hip went out of joint. The angel touched his hip and his hip went out of joint. Verse 25. This is what happens when you draw near to God. You're changed. There's a change about you. It's going to show up, the inside's going to show up on the outside. He physically walked with a limp the rest of his life from that experience with God. And not only God, didn't he, didn't he just change? He changed his name. He made him Israel, which we know we have the tribes of Israel from his sons. He changes everything about you. If you draw near to him and allow that personal experience of God. The last thing that he did was he memorialized that, that area and he set up an altar and he called it a name that memorialized that. So there are times in your life when you have to go back and remember. Remember the time when you obtained that blessing. Think on the good things. When God made that change in your life. So that is one man's experience. Let me go on to another one. 
we're going to talk about Moses, Exodus 3. And we all know Moses, don't we? Moses was from birth. His mama and daddy knew that there was a plan for his life. And they did all they could to save him. All the way to the point of losing him. Now, there's a story right there. There's a sermon in that, but God's not took me down that one. But there is a story in that. But when we look at Moses. Moses was raised in the house of the Pharaoh. He didn't know much about his Christian, his, his, uh, his background as a child of God. He was raised, but somewhere along the way, something in him flipped. And he... This and this, this calling of God become greater than him. And he sees something happening that was an injustice against the people, his people. And he lashes out and he murders a man. And then he runs. And he runs. And how many of us have run and run and run and run and run? And I didn't murder a man. I was just running. <laughs> I was just running. And we find Moses in Exodus 3 on the backside of Israel out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's what I call it, out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere, Egypt, you know, we used to say. And he's run from God, and all of a sudden he was raised. He was raised to serve idols. But something within him was, That's just not enough. There's something more. And so he's living in the middle of nowhere. He's married a woman. He's helping her, her father uh, raise the sheep, tend the sheep. And one day, he comes across this extraordinary thing. He sees this burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. And he says to himself, I've got to go see what that is. I've got to go see what that is. And God took him drawing near to him as the opportunity to speak to him. So he speaks to him out of the bush. He's, you know, he's talking to him. Moses, it's, as he comes close to this bush, God understands that he's drawing near to him. You know, James 4 and 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts. Uh, for you, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He just wants you to choose him. He wants you to make that choice. He's not going to force it. You have free will. He wants you to choose him. I stand at the door and I knock. Open the door. Let me come in and sup with you. Let me have a meal with you. There's nothing more personal than sitting down with somebody and having a meal together. It's a time that you become very vulnerable. You can try to guard yourself a lot. But I found myself saying and doing things that, you know, were very personal. You know, opening myself up to this person I'm sharing this meal with. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, God, I hope this is your will. <laughs> but he just wants you to choose him. So Moses sees the bush. He comes toward it. And he's like, wow. And then God speaks to him out of that bush. One of the first things he told him to do was take off his sandals. God gave me this revelation back before COVID. He wants you to remove whatever is between you and him. Whatever it is, he says, take them off. He wants that relationship with you. He doesn't want anything between you and me. The, the mountain that he was standing on was Mount Sinai, which was God's mountain, as they called it. It was a holy ground, he said. Take off your shoes. There can be nothing between you and I. That's what he desires. He knows everything about you anyways. 
He knows the stuff you did in secret in the dark. Stuff that nobody knows about yourself. God knows. And yet he still loves you. He still wants you. And then Moses covers his face because he's like, I'm a shameful person, Lord. What have I done? You know, here I am in the presence of greatness. And he covered his face because at that time they thought they, when they see God, they would die. But I took it as, you know, he knows his mistakes. What well, the prophet said, I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst a people of unclean lips. In the presence of God, it shows you things about yourself because you know he, he knows now. He's not, he's not hidden. He's not, not even mentioned them yet. He's not mentioned them, but you know. And then we see in verse 10, Moses is given this great plan for his life, his destiny. What he's been missing. His mission and his calling of God. God in verse 12 reassures him that he will be with him. He will go with him. He's not going to lead him and leave him alone and Moses is still is unsure he's like what do I say when people call what what you know who who sent me and he tells him I am that I am I am that I am but Moses he didn't even know God he had to ask him what his name was it don't matter how you were raised what your background was don't matter where you come from he wants you to know him he wants you to know him. God shows him. He, he even tells him what to expect. He said, the Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, but that's okay. I'm going to bring about some plagues. They're eventually going to let you go. And when you go, take this with you, you know. Exodus 4, 1 through 5, God uses what he had in his hand to be a witness to him. He tells him, he says, I can't do this. He says, what do you have in your hand? He said, a, a shepherd's staff. And I'm here to tell someone today that God is going to use your past as a tool to catapult you into your, net, into your mission. No matter what you did in the past, no matter what you had become back there, uh-uh. God's going to use that as a testimony for your life. You're going to bless people with what had, had happened, what you had come through, what you had been. And you're going to show them that the glory of God has made me what I am today, despite what I was then. In that wonderful God takes what is meant for our death, and he makes something great of it. Exodus 4, 1 through 5, where verse 6 and 7, he gives him a sign. He shows him his power. He says, put your hand in your pocket. He says, you know, they're not going to believe me, you know, because the... The, the staff turned into a serpent and went back to his staff. And he said, they're still not going to believe. He said, put your hand in your coat. And he pulled it out, and it was leprous white. He said, now put your hand back in. And it came back out totally normal. He shows you that you are equipped to do what he's called you to do. It's not in your own power. It's in his power. This is what happens when you have this personal experience with God. You have all these options, but are you going to choose to use them? And the last thing he did, uh, he told him about turning the water into blood. And, and he, told, he tells him he doesn't send him in unequipped. And verse 10 through 17, I love it. He says, I'm not eloquent enough to do this. 
how many times has the enemy stopped you because you were looking at somebody else and you didn't quite measure up to what they were? He don't want you to be them. He's called you to be you. He's called you to do what he's called you to do. He hasn't called you to do what sister and brother so-and-so, that's their job. You come along beside them and you do your part because your part is just as important. Because the two of you work together as a team. And he has to send Aaron, his, his uh, brother, to him to, to speak for him. And says that uh, you, he'll, be, he'll speak your words. And then he sends something. He does something great in verse 18. He sends him back to Egypt, the very place he fled. Personal experience with God will change your life. You'll learn your mission. You'll learn about the power of the God that you are serving if you allow it. I stand at the door and I knock. Let me in. Let's go to the New Testament. Day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Oh, my gosh. This is where we're at, people of God. We have something that resides within us. Acts 1, 4 through 8, Jesus directs them to wait in Jerusalem until you shall be endued with power from on high. They were obedient. Acts 1 and 14. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Supplication means requesting in humility, not in prideful. I deserve this, God. I deserve. No, Lord, I see where I need your help in this area. I beseech you to help me, Lord. So they came together and they were in one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 1, 15 through 25, they continued with their everyday work of the church. Judas was gone. They had to elect another person. Matthias was brought in. They were doing their everyday work. So this stuff happened, everyday stuff. It happens. Acts 2 and 1, we see that they were all in one place in one accord. And that means that they were uh, on one mindset. Unanimously, they were in one place doing, working together. That's why you can't look at sister so-and-so and think she's got, you know, I need to be like her. Uh, you're called to be you. You all work together in one accord. That's the enemy. Acts 2 and 2, we see the Holy Spirit falls, came and filled the place, and it was evident by them speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. This is not something you teach. If you're in the church and they're trying to teach you to speak in tongues, you are in a very bad place. Get out now. As the Spirit give the utterance. Look the verse up, Acts 2 and 2. It's not taught. And then once the power fell, you see Peter stand up, Acts 2 and 14. You remember Peter? I denied Jesus three times. Do you remember him? Oh, but Peter stood up. He became bold despite what he had been through. He became bold. This is what happens when you have that personal experience with God. He empowers you to do what you're called to do. Peter stood up and the healing power flowed from them all. All through Acts, you can read that. Acts 3, 
1 through 11 talks about the healing power. Acts 5 and 12 says, By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Acts 5 and 15, Peter's shadow even healed people when he walked by. They would bring the sick and line them up on the road and just for his shadow to fall upon. A personal experience with God brings change in your life if you allowed it. Acts 5 and 16, this, the sick and those would, that were um, possessed of spirits, they were all healed. And I want to end this sermon with Paul. Paul. Paul, oh, he, he started out as this very highly intelligent, well-educated man of that time. He's, he'd studied under this one and this one, and he'd had all the schools, and he was born for the right people in the right city. He was a Roman, you know, uh, he was a Roman citizen. He had all his papers in a line. All his pedigree was great. But he was still missing something. Paul was seeking God the best that he could in the religious sector, in the education of religion, but he didn't have an experience with God. That's what he was lacking, experience. You can talk a good game. You can look a good game. You can quote a lot of scriptures. But if you don't have that personal experience with God, you don't have what you need. To be great in the kingdom of God. To do what God has called you to So here is Paul going to on the road to Damascus. And he, his intent is to imprison and kill the Christians, the followers of Christ of that day. And there's this great light from heaven that shines about him. John 8 and 12 says, um, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. I wonder who was shining down on him. It was Jesus. And Paul falls to the ground. And he says, yay, Lord. He knew who he's talking to. He'd been taught all about it his whole life and all his educational classes. But he didn't have that experience with God, that personal experience. And he heard him talk, but they could see nobody. And Paul actually, once he's actually called Saul, Jesus calls him Saul because that was one, the name he was given. He fell to the ground. That was a type of a surrender because he knew, I'm sure, something was missing in his own life. He needed that personal experience, that personal encounter. So he hears him talking. In Matthew eleven fifteen, God said, "Who had, Jesus said, has ears to hear, let him hear. Be in tuned and listen for God. He's blinded when he gets up. He can't see for three days. He goes on in, and God speaks to Ananias and sends him to Paul. Or Saul, we should say. He's still Saul. And sends him to Saul. And he even didn't want to go. He's like, I know his reputation. He's a killer of Christians. Are you sure, Lord, you want me to send him? Go see him? Do you know what danger you're going to put in? 
God said, go. This is where you're going to find him. He's on a street called straight because I called him from the crooked to the straight and narrow. There's a sermon in that one. And Paul is sitting there, and he's still blinded. He's not eight for three days. He's not able to see anything for three days. And Ananias goes in, and he prays for him. He tells him what God is going to do in his life that he's called him to. And once the prayers are done in Acts 9 and 18, the scales fall from off his eyes, and his sight was received. An encounter with God will reveal what you're not seeing. The blindness that the enemy has gotten you. Reading the word. Studying God's word. Spending time with him. Those are all the things you do when you want a personal relationship with God. Not just coming to church. Oh, you, you need to do that too. But God desires a personal relationship with him. He wants you to be his people. His sons and daughters. With all the power and authority that Jesus died to give us. Do you want a personal relationship with God? I've told you some of the things that we've seen examples in the Bible of how to obtain those. Humble yourself. Make things right. Pray. Get alone. Be diligent. And listen for God. Look and listen. He will be there. Revelations 3 and 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He desires a personal experience with you. Surrender to him. Make the choice. And surrender. Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor. And we thank you for the day and the words that you have given us. That your heart has been revealed. 